You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. She said, what do you do? And I talked about my journalism and my books. And then I said, what do you do? And she said, well, tomorrow morning I have to break into a bank. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Hacking Humans podcast. This is the show where each week we look behind what, Joe? The scams and things that are going on on the Internet, That's Dave. right. Social engineering <laughs> scams, phishing schemes, and criminal exploits that are making headlines and taking a heavy toll on organizations around the world. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire, and joining me is Joe Kerrigan from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Joe? Hi, Dave. We've got some fun stories to share this week, and later in the show we've got my interview with Jeremy and Smith. He's the author of the book Breaking and Entering, the extraordinary story of a hacker called Alien. Sounds awesome. And we are back. Uh, Joe, we got a little bit of follow-up this week before we dig into our stories. You know, last week we were talking about ways to preview websites without actually opening them on your own browser. Yes. And we had uh, someone write in. He goes by at 305Vic on Twitter. Mm -hmm. And he said, hi, Dave. Thought I'd share these I use regularly. A couple other sites that will not only screenshot a website, but do some basic sandboxing analysis. And they are urlscan.io and urlquery.net. I took a look at both of these and pretty interesting stuff, particularly urlscan.io gives you a bunch of information about a website before you open it. So, you know, they open it remotely, but they do all sorts of scanning to tell you uh, how many different places it's referencing, how many different things like Google Analytics it's opening, it scans for malware. So, Does it look at the JavaScript and all that and tell it you what looks it's tracking? At, yeah, it looks at all kinds of stuff. Awesome. So uh, it's, a, it's a great tool. Yeah. Again, if you're suspicious about something, could be a good place to get started and pre-detonate those websites That's before, right. you, Absolutely. <laughs> before you open them on your own Let system. somebody else deal with that problem. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> thank you to Vic for sending that in. Joe, let's uh, dig into our stories. What do you have for us this week? Right. My story comes from Kieran McCarthy over at The Register. And oftentimes we tell stories of regular folks getting scammed out of tons of money and it makes us feel bad. Yeah. But not today. Okay. Not today. I'm we- still talking about somebody getting scammed out of money, but not regular folks. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Go on. Evaldus Remisalkis. And I'm probably screwing that name up royally. Okay. <laughs> but he is a Lithuanian. Yeah. And he has been extradited to the U.S. and pled guilty in federal court for defrauding Facebook and Google. Facebook and Google. Facebook and this Google. This guy swung for the fences. He did. He <laughs> batted for six, as they say. Okay. Here's how he did it. He set up a fake company called Quanta Computer in Lithuania. Okay. Now, there is another company called Quanta Computer, and this company is based in Taiwan. And they make a lot of stuff, including data center equipment. Okay. Facebook and Google have data centers, right? Yeah. Big ones. So they buy (laughs) tons of data center equipment. Next, this guy goes out and he sets up bank accounts in Lithuania and in Cyprus. Now, because he has actually set up a business called Quantic Computer in Lithuania, it looks like a legitimate business is coming in to set up these bank accounts. Mm -hmm. So he doesn't have a problem doing that. He has all the supporting paperwork and documentation. Right. To set up a real bank account right. under and, this name. And you could probably do this in the U.S. If there isn't already a quantum computer in the U.S. or in yeah. your state, you could probably set up a company like this and set up an account. It's it's not that hard. It requires a lot of paperwork, but right. you can do it. And here's where the scam begins. He starts sending Facebook and Google invoices for equipment. Okay. And he provides documentation like forged contracts, forged invoices, equipment lists, and all this stuff. Huh. And the documentation is apparently very, very good. 
well-forged. So he's doing his homework, I guess, figuring out what sort of equipment are Facebook and Google buying from the real Quanta in Taiwan. And then he's billing them for equipment and demanding that they send payment to his banks in Lithuania. They're filling out the checks or transferring the money They're to doing money transfers. an organization called Quanta yep. Computer. And <laughs> it's In the register article, it goes on to say that the banks were even fooled by this, that Facebook and Google's banks looked at the documentation and said, this looks legit, and they sent the money. Oh, so he made it through several layers of scrutiny. Right. Okay. And he got close to $100 million out of Facebook and $23 million out of Google. Wow. That's a lot of money. And he uh, did this over the course of two years. Wow. It makes me wonder why I'm doing what I do, Dave. <laughs> uh, first, I mean, maybe the 30 I mean, years in prison. <laughs> well, there's that. Yes, right. 30 years. That's uh, he is, he, he plenty of time to think years. about what he's done. The other thing that gets me about folks like this is, okay, he got $100 million bucks from Facebook, $22 million from Google. When do you quit while you're ahead? Right. You know, crooks always, I guess, is part of the thrill of what they're doing. And but when you have enough money to fulfill all of your needs for the rest of your life. Right. Go buy an island somewhere. Yeah, disappear. (laughs) I don't know that he would have ever let up on this, though. Yeah. He he did it immediately. As soon as the money was transferred into his accounts, he did start moving it around other accounts out of the country and moving it around the world, typically money laundering. So he's also up on money laundering charges. But two years, that's- Two uh, years, yeah. $122 million out of both of these companies. We talk about the scams and things that happen to, to regular people. And one of the things we frequently say is this can happen to anybody. And here you have two of the world's largest tech companies. Mm -hmm. Facebook and Google getting scammed out of a big pile of money. This can literally happen to anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the largest tech companies in the world. That's right. And they got hit big by just a regular guy (laughs) who was clever. It looks like he had a little bit of help, but I don't think he needed much help in this. Doesn't seem like it. Yeah. If he made this his full-time job, this could have been something that he could have done by himself with maybe, maybe some aids for laundering money. Well, the long arm of the law caught up with him. So. Yeah, he got he was uh, picked up in Lithuania and extradited to the U.S. and pled guilty last week. Wow. That's a good story, a good, good lesson that it can happen to anybody, yep. right? Well, my story this week comes from the folks over at Rapid7, mm-hmm. and this is a story about what happens to your devices when you're done with them. Mm, ah. we, we all have old computers old devices, even um, old like thumb drives. Old USB drives. Old USB drives. Yeah, there was a discussion about that on last week's episode of Smashing Security. Yes, yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. And it, particularly, you know, old hard drives, you have, as hard drives get bigger and bigger, right, your what old do you ones, do with your old ones? Well, you want to know what I do with mine, Dave? <laughs> well, we'll get to that in a okay. minute. <laughs> I can't wait to hear what you do with your hard drives, okay. Joe. But <laughs> this blog over on Rapid7, this is written by uh, Josh Franz. And what Josh did, he wanted to see what sorts of data he could get off of devices that people had disposed of. Mm -hmm. So he searched all over his town. He happens to live in Wisconsin. And he visited 31 businesses to get his hands on used equipment. Right. So he bought uh, about 40 desktop or laptop computers. He bought almost 30 flash drives or memory cards, 11 hard drives, and about half a dozen cell phones. What he discovered was that out of the 85 devices he purchased, Mm -hmm. take a guess, Joe, how many of the devices out of 85 were properly scrubbed of their data? Two. 
You are on the money. Am I really? Yes. Congratulations. Awesome. <laughs> and here's here's my <laughs> lovely assistant to tell you what you've won. Uh, yes, two devices, the Dell laptop and a Hitachi hard drive, were erased properly. Also, it's worth noting that only three of the devices were encrypted, mm-hmm. which these days when you format a hard drive, it's very easy to say, hey, while you're at it, encrypt this drive. Correct. And that'll protect you from... Folks being able to get their hands on the data after the fact. Yes. So certainly a, a extra step of security. So what this guy did, he went and he had several scripts that he ran on these devices. And he had it go through the devices and look for things like images, like documents, right. like emails. And he found over 600 email addresses, over 50 dates of birth, 41 social security numbers, oh my God. 19 credit cards, six driver's licenses, and two passports. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, most of the credit cards and uh, passport things were image scans of those documents. Okay. That makes sense to me. Yes. Because someone asks for your yeah. – your work needs a copy of your, of your, your passport, passport or your, your driver. Yeah, right. for your driver license. What are you going to do? You're going to scan it, take a picture of it, and email it over to them. Yep. Yeah. Now, the, all this equipment cost him about 600 bucks, mm-hmm. and he ran the numbers, and he found that if he were to sell this information online, we reached the point where a PII, personally right. identifiable information, really isn't worth that much. Right. So he would not get his $600 back if he was selling this information, because mm-hmm. all of these are worth less than a buck a piece online. Sure. But the point is that folks are not doing a good job of scrubbing these devices before they dispose of them. That's that's right. And uh, there are ways to dispose of this technology. There's a list here. But before we get to that, Joe, you were you promised us a, a story. How, how do you dispose of these things? So here's what I do. First off, I actually haven't disposed of any cell phones. I still have them and I'm waiting. Every cell phone I've ever owned, I still actually have in a box. <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to get rid of them. But for hard drives, what I do is I open them up and I take out the platters. And the platter, it's a non-magnetic material. Usually it's aluminum. But in the case of smaller hard drives, it might be glass, so okay. you got to be careful. Yeah, and then I just I, I bang them up with a hammer, uh-huh. or I will keep them and just let them sit as little hard drive discs after I've touched all over them and made it almost impossible to get it get them. Mm-hmm. You, what they used to do in the military, mm-hmm. right? What they used to do in the military is they would take the hard drive platters out and then sand the magnetic medium off of the non magnetic uh, oh, material, yeah. and that's that's a good option too. Yeah, I used to have a client who would incinerate all of the old hard drives. Yeah, you can do that, but that's yeah. that's kind of energy intensive, I think. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I do keep them around because they are aluminum, and I do want to try to melt down some aluminum at some point in time, and I can think of no better thing to melt down than old hard drive platters. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, there's a list here that uh, they have in this uh, article, and they say you could use a hammer. Uh-huh. You could, and that's what I've done. Yeah, you can incinerate them. You could uh, use industrial shredding. That's another good option. Use a drill or a drill press. Mm-hmm. I've seen people just put a nail through a hard drive. Yeah, that doesn't destroy all the data though. Yeah, uh, it makes it it makes it costly to recover it. Right, uh, probably <laughs> It'll to the slow point them where, down. Yeah, nobody's going to pay that much money. Yeah, and really, the only kind of people that can recover data from that are, are nation states. Yeah, acid, electrolysis, microwaves, and my favorite. Thermite. Uh, right. <laughs> thermite. Thermite. They actually include a video here of someone destroying a hard drive with thermite. Microwaves are really good for old CDs. If you have an old CD, just put it in the microwave for 30 seconds. It makes a really cool crackling noise and uh, <laughs> okay. all your data is destroyed off of that. Maybe use that old microwave down in your basement that you don't actually use to cook food in anymore. Oh, it doesn't you matter. Know. It no, doesn't. no. What's, what, 
What do you mean it doesn't matter? I mean, <laughs> you know, no, I don't, the, the residue not, in your microwave. Oh, you're no, not going to leave a residue in there. I mean, it, yeah. you, you put it in until you see the until you see all the lights and you take it out, and it, there's no melting or anything that happens. Oh, okay. It just fries. Right. I was, I was imagining smoke and mist, and uh, it does leave a little fire. bit of a smell for a little while. <laughs> you might want to clean it out. Right. I'm using my old microwave. You, 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 you take care of your family, and I'll take care of mine. Okay. <laughs> I do have another suggestion for USB drives, though. These little thumb drives. Yeah. Go out and download Veracrypt which is a free drive encryption software. Yeah. But what it lets you do is it lets you create an encrypted volume on that drive that you can then mount. If you need to put a file on to give to somebody, you can just put it into the regular, you know, the, the Veracrypt volume will take up a certain amount of the space and you leave maybe a couple gigs free for files that you need to transfer a PowerPoint presentation. Right, say, right. Let's say. Yeah. Well, and there are utilities out there that'll that'll zero out hard drives and yeah. write multiple times and so on and so forth. If right. you, you know, if you have a drive you're not ready to dispose of, but you want to make sure that the information on it isn't is no longer available. If yeah. someone came and stole that hard drive from you, you can l- use BleachBit. Yep. That tends to be time consuming though. Yeah. It does yeah. take a little bit of time. Yeah. Whereas if you just do an encrypted volume from the beginning and put everything you care about in the encrypted volume, and what if you lose the drive when, when you're walking around? An encrypted volume will protect you from that as well. All right. Well, that is my story, Joe. It's time to move on to our catch of the day. Joe, our catch of the day this week is a hot one. Several people sent us this catch of the day. And what's interesting is there were several variations of it where some names have been changed, some numbers have been changed, but at their core, they were all basically the same thing. And I, I've seen this one being mentioned a lot online. So this is a hot one. So uh, I'm not going to credit anyone in particular, but thanks to everyone who sent it in to us. This one goes like this. Case number 41657289. Distribution and storage of pornographic electronic materials involving underage children. My name is Garrett Byers, and I'm a technical collection officer working for Central Intelligence Agency. It has come to my attention that your personal details, including your email address, are listed in case number 41657289. The following details are listed in the document's attachment. Your personal details, home address, work address, list of relatives, and their contact information. Case number 41657289 is part of a large international operation set to arrest more than 2,000 individuals suspected of pedophilia in 27 countries. The data which could be used to acquire your personal information, your ISP web browsing history, DNS queries history and connection logs, deep web onion browsing and or connection sharing, online chat room logs, social media activity log. The first arrests are scheduled for April 8th, 2019. (laughs) Sure they are. Why am I contacting you? I read the documentation and I know you are a wealthy person who may be concerned about reputation. I am one of several people who have access to these documents and I have enough security clearance to amend and remove your details from this case. Here is my proposition. Transfer exactly 10,000 US dollars, that's 2.5 Bitcoin, through Bitcoin network to this special Bitcoin address. Upon confirming your transfer, I will take care of all the files linked to you, and you can rest assured no one will bother you. Please do not contact me. I will contact you and confirm only when I see the valid transfer. Regards, Garrett Byers, Technical Collection Officer, Directorate of Science and Technology, Central Intelligence Agency. (laughs) Joe, what do you think? The CIA, Joe. It's the CIA. It, it, it is, Dave. We're, we're in big trouble now. <laughs> it's the CIA. Yeah. 
and suddenly the CIA is interested in domestic pedophilia cases right. uh, <laughs> which, which they are not interested in <laughs> right um, right uh it does say that it's an international operation so i suppose you could stretch and say this would be something the cia would be interested in but yeah i don't know the not, cia not doesn't their, do law enforcement do they yeah, no no they no. they do collection of intelligence correct correct yes this is just a this is just an excuse to uh slap a big scary logo that has an eagle on it on right. the bottom of the uh, the bottom of the email. I, I noticed that the that the logo is just copied and pasted, but kind of like squished a little bit. They're not known for uh, attention to detail. These yeah. these scammers. So there's some obvious stuff in here. Some broken English. But this sort of scare that we've seen before, the specter of being accused of pedophilia. Right. That that's that, frightening. That can ruin your life. Yeah. Right. Just yeah. being accused. That is frightening. And uh, they say they're targeting wealthy people and they want $10,000. It'd be interesting to look at these Bitcoin accounts and see if anybody's falling for it. I would like to check that out. So, uh, you know, we've seen this story before. This is a new variation of it. This message from the CIA. Yeah, this uh, is, is like the, uh, the sextortion emails we got yeah. a couple months ago where somebody says, hey, I have some video of you looking at porn sites. Right. They've essentially amped up the accusation here. Yep. yep. They've taken it up a notch. Right. Yep. So beware. Don't fall for this one. It's no. a fake one, but it is making the rounds. So yep. uh, tell your friends and family the CIA is not going to come after you for this. Right. And that is our catch of the day. All right. Coming up next, we've got my interview with Jeremy N. Smith. He's the author of the book Breaking and Entering, the extraordinary story of a hacker called called Alien. And we are back, Joe. I recently had the pleasure of speaking with Jeremy N. Smith. He's the author of a book called Breaking and Entering, the extraordinary story of a hacker called Alien. A pretty compelling read. Here's my interview with Jeremy Smith. I didn't set out to write a book about hackers and hacking and social engineering. I set out to pick up my daughter from preschool <laughs> and <laughs> I went to pick her up and she was playing with another little girl and uh, mom and I started talking. She said, what do you do? And I talked about my journalism and my books. And then I said, what do you do? And she said, well, tomorrow morning I have to break into a bank. And I realized I was not the interesting person in this conversation. <laughs> and I started asking follow-up questions. And I learned that she was a professional, you know, penetration tester, digital forensic specialist, CEO. And she'd had this kind of amazing career in hacking from sort of teenager at MIT to cybersecurity CEO. And she'd kind of grown up as this new information security industry grew up. So kind of following in her footsteps, let me see kind of how we got to our information insecurity age. And she goes by the name Alien. What's the origin of that? And, and why does she choose to not use her real name? That's her hacker handle. But originally it was just her kind of user handle at MIT. You know, the sort of first scene in the book is she's a 17 year old. She's, you know, logging in and MIT, unlike most schools, at least at that time, the user chooses their username. And the default was her kind of first initial and last name. And she found that totally boring and banal. And she tried ET since those are her middle initials. And they said that was too short. So she kind of thought again for about six milliseconds and just typed in alien. And then it said, okay, you know, at a place like MIT, especially, you know, people go by their usernames as much as by their names, even in real life at that time. And so 
that was kind of her handle in the same way, you know, Jay Smith might've been mine or, you know, uh, I don't know if you remember your first, your first username, but you know, Alien was hers. Yeah. Well, and, and there's a long history of hacking at MIT. I mean, going back even before the computer era. Yeah. I mean, hacking at MIT, and this fascinated me, I wasn't totally aware of this. I was aware of a piece of it, but not all of it. Hacking at MIT predates computers. It's over 100 years old, and it refers to physical exploration and physical exploits. And by that, I mean climbing on ledges, going up elevator shafts, picking locks, going on the rooftops and domes of MIT, climbing through the steam tunnels. And there's an outward manifestation of that, which is sort of a hack, which is this elaborate, ingenious prank people can see. But there's also going hacking, which is this private, insular community activity, which is just exploring for exploring's sake. Can you share some of the stories of some of her exploits there? Human hacking is kind of manipulating people to do what you want. That can mean charming them. That can mean scaring them, and that can be things in between. So, for example, an early job, she has to break into a major Fortune 500 bank, and that includes both their corporate headquarters and individual branches. And I like that case because it exemplifies a lot of different forms of social engineering. So, for example, when she's trying to get into their headquarters, she plays the innocent, naive and she's sort of, I'm a, a new uh, IT worker, I have to fix something, my badge isn't ready yet. And she kind of fakes calling her boss, she has fake business cards, and she's very nervous and deferential. And she sort of relies on them taking pity on her to the guard to let her in. And she indeed goes up, steals a laptop, gets out, and it's a big deal. When she has to break into the branch, and she's trying to get into the vault of the branch, this sort of nervous IT guys, it's not going to work. Everyone knows who works there. Uh, she has to have a kind of power stance. And there she prints a fake badge at Kinko's. She prepares a sort of questionnaire. She dresses in a nice suit. And she goes in and her guise is that she is a auditor. And this is a surprise audit. And they're so on the defensive from the get-go that they sort of stammer. They answer all of her questions about security lapses. They give her a copy of the security log, they leave her alone with the customer files, and they get her into the vault. And she's in and out in, you know, 20 minutes. And she does that in branch after branch after branch. It seems like to be successful at this, you have to have a, a certain ability to be an actor as well, to assume different personas. Oh, absolutely. I mean, what's amazing is, and just sort of a, you know, a, a sort of moxie, you know, to, stay, to say the least, right. a willingness to fail because, you know, the stakes are kind of high. I'm curious, the, the time you spent with Alien, her personality, it seems to me like, first of all, it takes a, a special kind of person to be able to do this. But also, I would imagine there must be an adrenaline rush with this. She, she must have a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, I said, how do you make decisions? And she just sort of laughed. And she was like, you know, I justify things I do afterward, and you can call that decision making. <laughs> uh, but it's very instinct driven. You know, that's her personality. And she said, you know, what you have to understand if you ever have me, you know, in scene as a character, sort of thinking things through, don't overdo it. It's usually, is this new? Is this exciting? Was the kind of criteria for trying things for the first 10 ish years of her career. And then, you know, what's fun is, you know, our image of hackers is usually frozen in time. It's often faceless, but even if there is a face, it's sort of someone pulling a particular exploit once. And what was great about the story is I could see her and follow her as she grew up. 
And, you know, there's a scene where she's hacking from a hospital after she gives birth. You know, she's just on a job that she has to complete as a small business owner herself. But you see that shift as she goes from a teenager to a solo hacker to entrepreneur and business owner and then mom and, you know, head of a family. You see her kind of going, as she put it, from living to hack to hacking to live. In other words, before the decision-making was always what's the most fun, what's the most exciting, and now it's what's the kind of work that can sustain the life that I want to lead in the family, you know, and kind of community I want to build. So there's a maturation too, and I think that's happening in, our, in the industry as well. That's been cool. You know, people saw this image of hackers as sort of amateurs or foreign agents, but it's quite professionalized. She traces her adversaries sometimes in forensics cases or the adversaries of her clients, I should say, and, you know, they often have nine to five kind of patterns for attacking. And that might be nine to five Moscow time. That mm. might be nine to five in Lahore. But these are people that are professionals. And this is a job for them, just as it's a job for her. And that was something that was new to me, too. Yeah. Well, it's a compelling read. The book is Breaking and Entering the Extraordinary Story of a Hacker Called Alien. Jeremy N. Smith is the author. Jeremy, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, I'm so grateful. Thanks for having me. Joe, what do you think? I remember my first username. Dave, yeah, okay. From, from 1990. <laughs> okay. C2MXCARR. Where I went to school, we didn't go by our usernames. So uh -huh. we weren't nearly as cool as the guys at MIT. Interesting conversation. I find it interesting the alien picks the persona to match the goal, mm -hmm. right? So when she goes into a place where she's trying to acquire a laptop, she says, oh, I'm the flustered new person. When she goes into a place where she's trying to get into the vault, she adopts a power stance, uh, you know, mentally and, and physically and gets her way into the vault. Yeah, that ability to be a chameleon. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's remarkable. That's important. Yeah. It's, it's an important feature of this of this job, and it's, it's remarkable among people who can do it. Uh, it's just something I just don't have the interpersonal skills to do. Yeah, I, I would be able to do it because of my amazing mastery of different dialects, Joe. I believe, I believe you would be able to do it. <laughs> Dave, actually. I, My amazing mastery of dialects from all over the world, as listeners of this right. show know. It's the only just problem would be someone, for. someone might recognize your voice. <laughs> they go, true. wait a minute. Right. You're wait Dave. a minute. Yeah. Shred bins have always seemed like a target to me. Mm -hmm. I, I've worked in places where they were handled internally, and these things were painted red with yellow tops, so they were conspicuous, mm -hmm. and they made a lot of noise when you moved them. They were all designed like, I mean, they were metal. But I was at the doctor's office last week. And I noticed that they had a contractor shred bin sitting there from somebody who comes in and shreds the documentation right. that they just put into the box and they forget about it. Somebody could walk in there with a set of keys and or yeah. maybe even a pick. Just Wearing pick some it. overalls. Yep. Take that put, box out. Take the box out. Put it, you know. Got a truck out in the parking lot. I got lot. a truck out in the parking lot, throw it in the back of the car and drive away. Yeah, that's interesting. If there's one place in your office that you have to put shredded things, why not just put a shredder there? Yeah, they're cheap. And once again... We hear the mantra over and over again that everybody should pay attention here, and that is, don't be rushed, slow down. Yep. So important time and time again. All right. Well, thanks to uh, Jeremy N. Smith for joining us. Again, the title of the book is Breaking and Entering, The Extraordinary Story of a Hacker Called Alien. And that is our podcast. Thanks to the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more at isi.jhu.edu. The Hacking Humans podcast is proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity 
security teams and technology. Our coordinating producer is Jennifer Iben. Our editor is John Petrick. Technical editor is Chris Russell. Our staff writer is Tim Nodar. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Bittner. And I'm Joe Kerrigan. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.